Hey girlies, welcome to Crisis Joint, the podcast where we ring the alarm about cultural emergencies. Whether it's a flop album, an insane headline, a problematic fave, or just something that needs to be urgently discussed or you'll die, we're going to revive it and make sure it gets the medical assistance it so desperately needs. My name is Drew Haskins, and I'm the only twink who can save a culture in crisis. Joining me today is a returning fan favorite, a writer a cultural luminary, and the co-host of the very cool new podcast, Teach Me Sentai. It's John McDonough. Hi. Hi. I didn't know I was a fan favorite. I will uh, take that with pride. Once you're here, you're family. To quote, um, I don't actually know who I was quoting. What movie is that? That's Fast, Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious. Yeah. Or is it, wait, once you're here, I, well, you're I don't know oh, no, 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 that's well, Applebee's. That's the Applebee's. Okay, never mind. Family never mind. is a big part of Fast and Furious. Before. Yes. I'm sure they've said it in Fast and Furious, like one of the early ones, as like a joke. Oh, yeah. Or like some insidious product tie-in. Like, in Applebee's has a history of doing that, too. Have you? Do you know that song, um, Fancy Like? It's no. just like country, like. Oh yes! Oh oh yes! Horrible! Sorry, I just yeah. Like every time, um, I turn on TV with ads, like some sort of like terrestrial TV. That song is always on. I guess it's now in an actual Applebee's commercial, but like I thought it was a jingle at first, and then to find out that it's a real, like bona fide country song, is hard to parse. I'm from Alabama, and it it like shakes me to my core, not just as a like cosplaying the South in a way that's problematic, actually in some ways, like very specifically representing what it is to be in the suburban South in the 21st century. It's too real. It's my real problem with that yeah. song. Like, you know, in, I guess that's a nice thing about it. There is a veneer of authenticity to it that I mean, hey, it's 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 a, a little snapshot of American life, but it is annoying as hell to listen to. It's uh, yeah. musically irredeemable to me. Um, anyway, so since the last time I saw you, you have become an elite podcaster. I have, as in I started a podcast, which anyone can do, and uh, but I do in it. Well, don't make it sound too easy. <laughs> we don't want to continue I mean, to oversaturate really hard. And you should support your favorite podcasts in any way you can. Yes, we absolutely. Um, we are brave soldiers. Well, yeah. not as brave as some soldiers right now, but that's we're still, true. still working. So that's true. Yeah, so I what just... is Teach Me Sentai about for those uh, who are not in the know? Yeah, uh, thanks for letting me plug. It is a podcast where uh, me and my co-host Natalie Bridgman uh, are looking at Power Rangers, the classic children's action television show, but also you may or may not know that Power Rangers concept and much of its footage came entirely from a Japanese children's action franchise called Super Sentai. So we are looking at the first season of Power Rangers and Kyoru Sentai's Ranger, the specific Japanese series that they used for that season side by side. We just got to the Green Ranger uh, coming up here in I think two episodes. So we're in a, we're in a fun time um we're having a good time okay so I have to confess I have only dabbled 
mm-hmm. in Power Rangers throughout most of my life. I, it was on before school a lot, but it like, I connected to it in a way that I, it was very superhero adjacent to me, which I enjoyed, but the lore and the backstory of the show is something that's kind of continually alluded to me. So you're saying that the the action sequences were repurposed from another show. Yeah, entirely. Um, and, And sometimes like, I mean, when you know that now, if you ever saw an episode of Power Rangers, you'd be like, oh, I can absolutely see it. The most telling thing especially is that the yellow ranger is a man in super sentai um and that you won't be able to unsee but um they have to do some really creative cutting at times to cut around like random japanese people who are also in the shots or um you'll see a lot of rita repulsa saying oh we use this on another planet and then you'll see a clip of zhu ranger um but it's it's a really fun time to sort of look at them look at the way they try to save money. It's also a story about union busting and um, predatory labor practices. So Whoa. if that's your thing, you can climb with us. Uh, but we have a good time. We, we watch the episodes, we love them, we hate on them politely. And then we talk a little bit about the surrounding history too. Are they all like that? I remember watching the dino one, especially mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, when um, I was little. And that seemed pretty seamless to me, but I also, I was, nine and I was not <laughs> as well versed as you know television's tricks as I am now yeah uh, it's gotten more sophisticated and they have created more footage in some seasons than others that's wholly new but in general the like basic design is always coming from Super Sentai if not the footage directly mm-hmm. that's brazen <laughs> it is it, I mean it's kind of brilliant because like I don't know if you could get a children's television network to greenlight a live action superhero show ever no, in America. I mean, we've seen how Nickelodeon in Disney their kids programming looks like it was made for five dollars and I visited the Nick set of I don't remember what it's called. It's some show that's on now that's for kids. It's about superheroes though. And on the Paramount lot tour, they show you the main layer and it looks like a styrofoam paradise. It's nothing in there. It's a miracle that it's not flammable. Um, And and maybe it is. And maybe it is, but Power Rangers never looked that cheap to me. It, but, they, they could just spend more money on their sets because half the episode they weren't spending any yeah. money on. And then also non-union show and no one was getting paid and everyone was working six days a week. That's really actually fascinating. And that go, I mean, a lot of shows that cross, cross the pond are dubbed vocally. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a pretty common practice, but wholesale repurposing scenes from other shows is such an interesting way to do it and it's work like gangbusters they're still on they're still making them yeah. so yeah it's it's certainly a, a fun thing to climb in this space with and especially going back to episodes that we remember from childhood as like our one of our favorites there's like an iconic food fight episode in the first season that like I have mm-hmm. sweet memories of getting to watch that and then getting to watch the Sentai episode with that monster, with that framing, catching weird things like the fact that someone's holding a giant plate of sushi at one time that just went over my head. It's, it's been really cool to see them side by side and mm-hmm. go on that journey. 
And where can people watch episodes of Power Rangers and Sentai if they want to now? Yeah, uh, Power Rangers is all on Netflix if you're in the US, okay. which is nice. I think Netflix owns Power Rangers as of a few months ago. And oh, the, new, the new seasons will be Netflix originals. But um, so I guess it's doing well for them. And then uh, the Sentai series, some of them, including this for one we're watching and a lot of the early ones, early Power Rangers season adaptation ones are available through a company called Shout Factory. They sell DVDs. They have like a sort of TV service on their own website and then also have like an up channel through Amazon Prime yeah. that you can subscribe to and watch them on demand. So Shout Factory for the Sentai stuff and Netflix for Power Rangers. So everyone, if you're so inclined, go uh, binge all that and listen to Teach Me Sentai. Yeah, you can a... find that anywhere you get your pods, yeah. most likely. And if we're not there and you want us to be, you just tweet at me. <laughs> if someone's using one of those weird, weird, weird ones, like uh, Pocket Casts or whatever, I think I just yeah. made that up. But anyway. It sounded um, real to me. <laughs> I know, there's like a new, new startup every day. Um, all right, let's move on to the first segment we're gonna play go call the governor Mm -hmm. so you know how this works but for any new listeners i'm going to present you john with three cultural scenarios from recent and or ancient history and you're going to decide whether or not the governor needs to be called there are no wrong answers but your choice is binary does the governor need to be called or not we ready yes absolutely awesome All right, first topic, Lindsay Lohan signs a two-picture deal with Netflix. I mean, I think we might need to call the governor to declare a national holiday, a statewide holiday. It's a governor. I mean, I am so excited to have Lindsay Lohan back in the world. Me too, especially since the last time we saw her in media was Lohan Beach Club, which is one of the Worst isn't the word. It's one of the most bizarre reality TV shows I've ever seen. And she seemed deeply unwell. At least I couldn't do viewer. it. Yeah. It, you know, she just has that pan-European accent right now. It's very uh, oligarch adjacent. And yeah, I just, it, it didn't seem like a good spot for her to be. I think she should just be doing like little rom-coms and stuff. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. And like a lot of those early aughts, Lindsay Lohan flicks late 90s as well, like are so good still. And it is in so many ways, like Parent Trap 1998, th- th- for the age yeah. she was, she did a truly, she like anchors that movie in a way that oh. checking into it recently, I'm so impressed with. And she always had that skill to be a like lead in a movie yeah and they should make her leads in movies still yeah especially in comedies too it's hard enough to give one good comedic performance but to Mm -hmm. give two acting opposite yourself in a lot of scenes is genuinely very hard to do and she does it so well. And she's good. In, I mean, Mean Girls, that movie doesn't yeah. really work without her. I mean, Rachel McAdams gets all the love for it. And I think deservedly so to an extent. But that movie doesn't really work if Lindsay isn't so likable and kind of earthy. Yes, she's so good Katie. at grounding a comedy. It is a very unique skill that I think yeah. that... Putting her at the center of Netflix movies and casting a bunch of up and coming 
kind of goofy comedians, she will be able to sort of keep us in the world. And that's exciting to me. Just speaking from an acting perspective, things really started going south for her once she started doing more dramatic stuff like Georgia Rule and I Know Who Killed Me and God forbid Liz and Dick. Like she just works so much better when things are fun and frothy. And I'm pretty sure these two movies are going to be romantic comedies. And I think she has one of the docket, um, a holiday movie Mm. that's coming out this year that's been filming, I think, for six months. So that's not a great sign for... No. Because she's not... You know, she may be in a good place now, but she's she's still a hugely difficult person from all accounts. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I like to pretend that no one has to make movies sometimes. I say as someone who works in media, <laughs> uh, but but yes, I, I hope that uh, people working on a crew right now listening to this with Lindsay Lowen who think that we are too excited for something that's making their lives miserable, but I just get to reap the benefits, so I'm happy. Yeah, and I really hope that she follows through on this. I mean, I, I'm... I remember a few months ago, back at September, almost a full half year ago, she announced a podcast that has yet to come to fruition. So I forgot about that until this very moment. She's been teaching, teasing music for three years now that has more or less yet to come to fruition. Mm. She's not a reliable person and who knows how the current geopolitical conflict is affecting her. One of my least favorite quotes from her reality show was her grabbing a champagne gun, like something you load champagne into and then spray it at people. She sprayed at all these beachgoers and was like, ha I feel like Putin. And it was one of the darkest. Oh, I couldn't no. believe it made it to air. <laughs> like, she has a lot of fondness, I think, for despotic regimes of Eastern uh-huh. Europe. Uh-huh. And yeah. I, I don't know how that's going to affect the shooting schedule either. Uh, they got to they gotta lock her down and get these movies done as fast as possible before yeah. her whim can carry her anywhere else. Because this, this holiday movie has been filming since early October. I'm not sure if it's done yet, but it wasn't done as of beginning of February. Maybe like benefit of the doubt they had to go dark because of Omicron. Yeah, I would. I I hope so. I hope that's the case. It is filming in Utah, so I'm not sure if that makes a difference. But I uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's we let's just hope we get these movies that's all we can hope for but yes this is this is good news for people who love her yeah i i think all i want for lindsay lohan is to be in movies that i get to watch and so comedies you're correct but yes i can't imagine netflix making anything else with her and i'm excited yeah i i i really fingers crossed for this um wishing and praying so all right second scenario here Robert Pattinson's history of lies. Does the governor need to be called? No, because no one should put a stop to this. I um 
I think that more celebrities need to be rapscallions on media tours. I think we got uh, a version of this from Lady Gaga and now we're getting a new version from Robert Pattinson and I love yeah. it. I could have, I was really, really debating putting Lady Gaga saying, um, what'd she say on the sag red carpet? She, Laverne Cox asked her what her dress was representing oh, or God. what story her dress was saying. And her, she said, the story my dress is saying is the truth, like completely out of her mind on something. And yeah, that we would have needed to call. Um, but, but in this case, I think as long as they're safely within the bounds of I'm discussing this theoretical movie I'm making, mm-hmm. like, I think the more lies and the more outlandish the lies, the better. I also put into this category, the uh, Dakota Johnson Lyme revelation. Yep. The Architect Digest. Absolutely. I, like any sort of like fake story you need to tell me about getting into character or an experience you theoretically had that didn't happen. As long as you're not like implicating someone in a crime that didn't exist or um otherwise slandering another human i'm pretty pro lies in press yeah. tours i 100 agree i do question his commitment to lying so outlandishly for so long though especially some of them are just so downright bizarre the dakota line thing is charming to me because it's just such a weird I, I kind of get why she did it. She's on camera. She's doing a house store. Makes sense to lie about these stage lines because why are you going to say, I'm allergic to these, get these away from me. I think a lot about Robert Pattinson saying that he has, uh, I don't remember the name of the pasta, but some he invented some pasta dish oh, yeah. that was like baked ziti with a sugar crust. And he like put it in the microwave in that one profile piece. Yeah, but that, but then he said, I don't eat this. So why do it? Yeah, yeah. He he almost needs to commit more or less. Like he yeah. goes so far with the lies only to break at the last minute. Um, like if you want to invent this fake ziti dish and then you make it for a profiler, I think you have to put it in your mouth. And that's yeah. just absolutely like you can't just put a bunch of shit in the microwave. <laughs> like you can, but at what cost? You have we to all have to read your craft. Yeah. yeah. Are you excited for the Batman? Cautiously. I have this uh-huh. like long standing um, frustration with this idea that Batman should be very serious because uh, I think Batman and especially Batman villains should be really, really weird mm-hmm. and really, really silly. Yes. And the idea that we need to reboot Batman to make a gritty realistic version as though that hasn't been all that we've gotten in this century is frustrating to me. I would actually like to have a reboot of Batman that's fun, but it does seem like this one is maybe has some fun, sexy, sexy banter, which I'm always down for. All the reviews I'm seeing say that it's a pretty sexy movie. At the same token, they say it's it is actually the grittiest Batman to date, and a lot of reviews I've read compared to a Saw movie at times, which is so fun. Um, uh-uh. Great. What people kind of forget though is the Tim Burton Batmans are pretty silly, yes, but also very scary and gritty at the same time. That's a really good balance. Yes, 
I think all Batman villains should be someone you are laughing at one second, and then you're like, oh no, this guy will just kill you. Yeah. And that's what makes them a Batman villain. Finding the humor in the inherent campiness in this is kind of, it's a hard balance to strike. Like Batman and Robin definitely does not. No. Did not do that at all. I mean, that movie is not without its merits, but it is way too silly and incoherent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, then the like this new trend is just, it is wearisome. I didn't watch the Ben Affleck Batman movie, so I can't really speak to those. Yeah. Um, Checked out of Snyder, and I know his version of Grit is is sort of a particular um, self and violent one yeah that i really don't have an interest in but i do just wish even if batman is going to be so serious i think the true success of the dark knight is that heath ledger's joker is very silly and like you need that force and also i want them to put robin in one of these movies like an actual boy wonder robin character yeah they never will but that's what i want i don't know why they won't i guess it's because they have him on tight well not they have nightwing right on titans right now mm, they do yes. the tv show yeah i uh, i mean you could do it it would be a fun new dynamic that they haven't explored in ages and dark knight rises sort of hinted at joseph gordon levitt's character taking over if not the robin mantle at least like a new young batman mantle and that could yes. have been not that they should have expanded that out to its own separate movies because I don't really need to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt and too much stuff. But that at least was an interesting wrinkle that they could, they just won't do. But Yeah, I think Batman needs a Bat family to be um, palatable as a person to me. Because yeah. I think otherwise, and, and I... Oh, now you're back. Okay. Great. I just switched it off the microphone and back on. Was I talking about Zoe Kravitz in the middle of this? Um, no, you were talking about the need for a bat family. Oh, I think Batman needs a bat family. Okay. Uh, I think that you need a bat family to make Batman work as like a person who I care about being the center of a movie, because I think you need characters who will say like, you're wrong and he respects and likes them. Yeah. And they just haven't ever really given us that in a satisfying way because all the people only know one side of Batman in recent Batman movies. Either are people who know Bruce Wayne or people who know Batman need someone who knows the totality of this person and can comment on him. There is the, I guess the Alfred character and in the Nolan trilogy, Lucius Fox to an extent. Yes, I think they were not fully utilized, but- That that, that can't is an option. We just need someone who can talk to Batman as the person he is. And often they try to use the villain for that. And I don't think it works. And it seems like they're, that's not a trope that's ever going to go away with Batman. Just because the two, the interplay between his psyche and the villain's psyche is just such an integral part of yes. the franchise, really. But yeah, coming up with new wrinkles is always important just to keep things fresh. But the reviews for this have been really good. So I'm excited. I love the creative team behind it. I love Robert Pattinson, love Zoe Kravitz. Paul Dano apparently is excellent as the Riddler. Mm -hmm. And 
if you're gonna make it really dark and scary just on principle make turning the riddler into the zodiac killer is an interesting way to go with it it's a good idea i i like give them I see what they're going for and it seems like they really achieved what they're going for in a way that I respect and I'm excited to watch. I just perhaps wish they had went for something else. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I agree with that. One of the reference points that they've cited a lot is Arkham Asylum and Arkham City mm-hmm. as a model for this movie. And I'm fine with that. I love those two games. Um and capturing that feel, those games are relentlessly dark. Yeah. But they're relentlessly dark in a different way than we've seen in the movies. Yes, that's true. Be... Hearing that does make me like, oh, at least it'll be a little bit of a different take, even yeah. if it's going one direction and not the other. Because, yeah, I mean, making it scary, I guess that's not entirely novel. Like the scarecrow sequences from Batman Begins are pretty scary. Mm-hmm. but doing so in an actual like naturalistic horror way instead of sort yes. of psychedelic I like borderline supernatural mm-hmm. it's a different shade so absolutely yeah I think that this is um I'm glad to see DC letting their different movies have more of a tonal identity yeah and I think compared to some of their other recent fair dark scary serious is a hole in their gap in their in their lineup not uh like where they've made a lot of kind of funny ones so i think with that in mind i i I understand why they've gone for what they've gone for i think it will be a good watch yeah it's not good for if for a three-hour movie it probably won't be boring yeah, which yeah. Is, I wish it wasn't three hours. You can't ever convince me it'll have needed it to be. No, but if it at least moves quickly, like I will be, I'll be excited for it. Yes, yes. All right. Last scenario. According to Radar Online, Tom Schwartz and Katie Maloney from Vanderpump Rules are separating. <gasps> I hadn't heard about this. I do think we need to call the governor. I um have a real problematic relationship with the characters of Vanderpump Rules and their effect on my life um and I like I recognize that we have watched eight years of these people having like at times incredibly toxic and even at the best of times like more contentious than is appropriate marriage perhaps but um it will absolutely break my heart if this turns out to be true Yes and no. I think they're terrible for each other. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at a relationship and trying to, you know, make it past the smell test, does do they work together? Do they like each other? Are they even, is there a smidgen of an affection there? I think the answer to all those questions is no. Across I think the, the answer to those questions is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's always treated her so contemptuously. This is true. I think when they work, they really work. And I get so... Like, when they're on the same (laughs) side, I think in this most recent season, 
Um, okay, to be, I'm not watching the most recent season. I, I had to tap a poor out. season. Yeah, but the 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 Tom's major plotline is that they are moving to open their own restaurant without Lisa. Yeah, and Katie Shorts wants and to be involved, and Sandoval thinks that she shouldn't. And like, I think that Tom Schwartz does a good job several times of of recognizing that like a Katie has something to add, even if Sandoval doesn't like it. And be that he does owe her allegiance, even yeah. if it's not the best thing for the business for her to be involved. And like when I don't know, like when they when I when they are happy with each other, which I think they have been more in recent years than ever before, like when they're not actively fighting, I get it. It's just when they do fight, we go so careening into dark the darkness. Yeah. That it's hard to believe in their relationship long term. Like I, I have this feeling about them that's very like they are two flawed, broken, bad people that maybe their jagged edges do fit together in this weird. It sometimes grinds, but yeah, it like holds. lost people find each other. Yes, um, and they both have this like severe, deep well of rage that comes out towards each other more than any other person yeah. in their lives. That is like terrifying, but like at least they're giving it to someone who also gives it to them. That's horrible. Maybe they should just fix their rage, but that's my feeling on their relationship. Wow. I'm glad that there is someone advocating. I think you should step in, be their couples counselor. I just don't, I don't really see a way forward for them, but I have also been saying that for gosh like six years now like since the season they got married yeah and i mean i think it was what two weeks before their wedding that tom called her a huge bitch and they were relitigating um his like various affairs in new orleans when they were all in drag like it's not it's never been a very positive experience for this This is true this is true it's they're probably the problem is i think what it is in my head it's like they're maybe better off without each other, but it's so hard for me to like know or believe that because I think honestly their marriage is better off without the show. Oh and, well, yeah, that's true for any. <laughs> yes, yeah, and yeah. I mean it's true for everyone on yeah. that show. And so, like, I I think I sometimes give them this benefit of the doubt of like, well, you also have to create the show, right? And it, that's not good. I shouldn't do that. But um, yeah, I just have. After all these years of them being together, going to their wedding, seeing all their fights in marriage, I, I, it, it feels like my parents fight all the time, but I still don't want them to get divorced because they're yeah. my parents. I, I, there is a lot of love's not the word, but affection there on like mm-hmm. my part for this cast. I want everyone to be okay, especially the ones I like. Yeah. Which I don't even know who those are anymore. Like Tom and Ariana, Tom Sandoval and Ariana, I've always really liked a lot just because they're the only reasonable people on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Ariana, especially, I feel like maintains somehow being a very normal person despite this franchise. I've also always been deeply attracted to Schwartz, which I know is not... He's so like impotent and like yes. he seems he's just, so safe. Safe's not the word. He's so like he is a I and I, I mean this on a non-physical sense. He's a blob. Like he is just like his energy is so 
schlumpy dumpy uh-huh that i would i would drive me crazy to be around him and i used to go to the gym with him mm. at crunch sunset to the surprise of no one and he would always be there sort of like half-heartedly working out glum never saw him smile once at the gym it was all just like Mm-hmm. like it, it's a very soporific energy and i can see why that drives katie crazy because if my partner did not have an ounce of drive or gumption i would i would feel so sick of just trying to push him up the hill yeah i think when i said safe like this is the thing that like attracts me in a problematic way to people like this because I know that my ambition will never be threatening to them because they could never ever match it and like they can't hurt me because like they just aren't capable of that level of sophisticated thought this is the bad way I project onto men like this when I meet them and then of course there are wells of anger and other feelings that you're not seeing at first and the fact that they don't move eventually starts to hurt you which I'm sure is what's happening to Katie in some ways but like that is the thing that has always drawn me to Schwartz is he seems like charming and unthreatening and it's irresistible to me but I think that is ultimately what that's the grand fallacy of the show. Yes. Katie is so unlikable and so I, I hate to say these words about a woman and it's going to sound misogynist and bad, but like she is so like shrill and bad at communicating with her, like with other people, like her tone is never yes. right. She always comes in way too hot. And it's not just with Tom, it's with everyone in her orbit. Mm-hmm. But I think within that relationship she's always right tom is just so it because he's so like floppy and cute we've the wool has been pulled over our eyes for so long that we don't want to empathize with her but we have to yeah the 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 true surprise of katie maloney on that show is that nine out of ten arguments she gets in she's in the right yeah whoever she is arguing but you will like almost always either see both sides or like be against her just because she can't help but come in and stab people in the face three seconds into the argument And that is a learning opportunity for all of us in the audience to always be mindful of our tone it's true it's true and come in with a plan i mean did you ever read that picture book pig pig grows up no <laughs> okay so walk with me here Pig Pig is an over, uh, a, a kid. He's a kid pig, a piglet, yeah. but not quite. He's a big pig. And he refuses to walk places and his mom always has to push him in a stroller. And she's very frustrated by this, but she feels like she has to. And one day she's just so tired. She's walked to the top of a hill pushing Pig Pig. Mm-hmm. And she just trips, like something happens and she lets go of the stroller. And Pig Pig in the stroller starts going down the hill, careening. Love it. And what's at the bottom of the hill? A baby (gasps) in a stroller, another baby in a stroller. And the crux, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but the crux of the tension of this climax is whether Pig Pig is going to get out of the stroller and stop, stop the momentum and make a decision about 
what path he's going to be. So what I'm saying here is Tom Tom is or no, Tom Tom Schwartz is very pig pig to me. Yes. Yes, that's I mean, it's a, it's an apt metaphor. I, I yeah. was looking at pictures of pig pig to really visualize it appropriately. Um, yeah, yeah, he is just and, and, and Katie has spent a lot of time pushing him, but also yelling at him about pushing him. Yeah. Not and good. it's not a fun dynamic to watch. I mean, they're not the, not that anyone on that show is really like, I could really do this whole podcast on VPR, honestly. It just, it's, it's such a rich text and it's been unwatchable yes. for years now, but yeah, it, I do. Those first six seasons of VPR are among the greatest reality TV ever produced. It's, it's, and, and this most recent season was almost more interesting for the lack of presence of Jack Stassi and Kristen the first time anyone on the show has ever faced consequences for their bad behavior like than it was for what was happening on the screen and um yeah just it, it is it is such a good text to about what fame does to you and your brain yeah. and the ability to make money like all of them have realized they can find fame and fortune by doing this thing that is actively bad for them in every relationship in their life. Yeah. And it's fascinating to watch them all continue to do it, even as I think they're starting to realize that. Well, and the cash cow is about to dry up too. I mean, this, I didn't watch this season because eight was so horrible, like truly yeah. horrible. And then Stassi and Kristen and Jackson and Brittany got fired. So not that I liked any of those people except Kristen, but I just couldn't, you know, this new season, I just was not compelled by any of it. And mm -hmm. I don't know mm -hmm. if it's going to go on. Everyone said the reunion was pretty good. Like James getting I, it's broken pretty up good. With. It's pretty good. So maybe yeah. I'll watch those two, but like, can this show even come back? Like, what is it, what is it even going to be about? I mean, I honestly think that they've lost a couple of their best shitsters and I wouldn't be surprised if those people make a somewhat an elegant return not yeah. Jax I don't think they ever invite him back but no. um, Stassi and Kristen um and then it, it's just there's only so long I can watch them act like this before I start to feel like okay we're all older now like yeah this isn't okay and I don't think they will ever find the same lightning in a bottle of introducing new people because one of the things that made Vanderpump work so well is that these were all people with pre-existing relationships. Yeah, like you can't just throw a new person in and expect them to have the same drama, the same history. Like that's, that, I mean, that's why Eight was so bad. You just yeah. didn't care about any of the new people. And then half of them turned out to be horrible racists. So yeah, what are we left with? Not, Nothing. not much. What I will say for the Vanderpump viewer who is looking for a way out, Summer House is fantastic. Okay. Very similar early season vibes. The drama is a little bit lighter, but it's the same principle. A lot of people with shared history living in a house together. And it's, it's a lot lighter on its feet, but it is so compulsively watchable. There is enough drama to kind of sustain it. I'm behind on this new season that's currently airing, but I think it's, it, it's really scratching an itch and it has not, it's in its sixth season right now and it hasn't gotten bad yet. Mm. So, you know, okay. things could still change, but like for right now, that's where people I think should be landing.
Great. I'm going to take your advice. Yeah. Um, Okay. Speaking of reality TV, we got to move on to this episode's cultural emergency. Uh So John, what are you rushing to the ER today? Uh, uh, The, the, uh, how do I want to phrase this? Uh, Drag race, a television franchise we all know and love theoretically. Um, The judging has gone off the fucking rails. Yeah. Can I curse? I don't know. Oh yes. No, 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 no. Great. Um, off the fucking rails, and uh, we need to do something about this. Yeah, it's it's pretty bananas what's going on right now. So to catch, just loop you in on where I am with the franchise, because we didn't talk about this before we hopped on today. I'm up to date with season 14. Great. I have not been watching Drag Race versus, or wait, uh, UK versus the world, aka International All-Stars, except for super cuts of the first few episodes, like lip syncs, like kind of clips and performances here and there. And then this past episode from last night, I watched in full. Great. Maddening experience. Yeah. One of the most fascinating semifinals episodes ever. Yeah. You want, let's start, let's start with international all-stars. Like I am generally not a huge fan of the all-star seasons except for, well, that's not true. Two, three, and four are all perfectly solid. Two, especially, Mm -hmm. I think is like an all-time great drag race season. Yes. But like, it's a very different beast of a show. Like the rules are different. The elimination processes are different. Like everyone's a little bit more aware of themselves. Like it's not as um, raw. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think that one of the things that's interesting to me is that season two tried this format and it worked brilliantly. Great season of television. Yeah. And part of why it worked brilliantly is because no one ever really did anything insane. Like even when people kept people who they probably should have sent home and sent other people home, it's not like that other person was crushing the whole competition or did really well that week and yeah. they sent them home anyway. It was, it was normally people who was like, Honestly, in the grand scheme of things, is this person going to win? No. So like, and, and, and part of that is because I think problematically, we all sort of felt like it was Alaska's to lose and yes. maybe, maybe Katja would be this fun new element. But like, the, yeah, no, like it ended as expected, but there were enough like twists and roller coasters and the format worked pretty well because we got the satisfying nature of Fifi getting eliminated after yes. all for shenanigans yes and like tatiana and Alyssa coming back like it it was fun the only decision really of that series that i found especially heinous was Alyssa going home the second time i agree on the makeover there was no way roxy shouldn't have gone home that episode right. except for like she went someone a t-shirt was that the right yeah. episode or it was just no, like I think oh it was, no it detox was, was like detox didn't want to send her best friend home which yeah fine. fair yeah sure whatever like not great but it, it was more than made up for in the finale because we would never have had roxy's iconically horrible verse on rewrote yes. you had yes. we not and honestly, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think Alyssa or Roxy was ever going to win that season. No, definitely so, not. Like, it was, who went it, home fifth ultimately didn't matter. Yeah, like, would it have been more interesting to have Alyssa in the final just for diversity's sake and not have it be Alaska Talks versus Katya? Sure. But, like, it ended great still. Right. And then All Stars 3 happens, and Ben tells us all why this format is bad, and then 
destroys it, right? Yeah. She she crushes the whole competition. She's miserable crushing the whole competition because it's crazy to have to do really well and then make these decisions and hurt people and have that reflect on your brand. And so she's like, I'm not playing anymore. And then we just like have continued to pretend like it makes sense to put the queens in this position. Yeah. And never has that been clearer that on UK versus the world where there is no money, like no one's getting a $5,000 tip for yeah. doing this. No one's getting a 5000 tip for doing this. There's no incentive to do anything beyond, like, especially for the American queens who have been on it already. Like they know Rue, like they're part of the drag race machine in a much more established way than the other queens are. Yes. So you see how the international queens and the UK queens are approaching this with much more of a seriousness mm-hmm. and a gravity to the proceedings, even when there's not necessarily a lot on the line. It's about working with the room more and getting sucked into the international or the like the the US centric drag race ecosystem, yes. which is still it, the arbiter of everything. It makes it all so much more personal in a way that's challenging. Yeah. <laughs> and has led to, I think, some like not not understandable, but really painful feeling decisions. And I think I feel like so many people who've gone home got screwed. So which... this is the problem with that format. You, to, for a queen to be in that position of sending another queen home, you either send the weakest competitor whose track record's the worst, or you send home your strongest competitor, mm-hmm. which the latter option has only happened a few times in Drag Race history, most prominently on All-Stars 4 when Manila gets sent home by Naomi, which was a right. great moment of TV mm-hmm. and like sort of justified in that moment because she did do the worst on that episode. So it kind of yes. made sense. Like if you're going by Project Runway rules, one day you're in, the next day you're out. Sure. We are seeing the limitations of this now on UK versus the world because every single week the queen has sent home the strongest competition yes yes which is and now we're left with the final four that I would argue none of whom should be there yeah we 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 have seen the second weakest person in the con in the challenge, often who wasn't even that bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, or if they were were kind of bad, wasn't there? There's not a very big delta between the winners and the people in the bottom for no. most challenges this season. And like, we're seeing that person, the second worst person, go home over someone who it sort of feels like isn't in a great position to win anyway. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, we have now. I think one of the most All-Stars 6 felt like a challenging top four because all of them sort of felt like they were on equal playing grounds, but not because this one where they all sort of feel on equal playing grounds because they've all been fine. Yeah. (laughs) No one's really been great. Moe's been incredible on the runway, but like other than that, I don't know what to say about these four people. So let's let's get into last night's episode because I... You said Moe's been looking incredible on the runway. I generally think that is the case. I thought last night's was horrible. I Mm -hmm. loosely got the reference. I thought most of the runways last night were pretty bad, except for um, Janie's, Mm -hmm. which was simple but perfectly rendered. Yeah, I had like and, one little note and I think she needed to pull her waist just slightly up. And I yep, think that was yep. reference versus drag. Yep. So I could almost forgive her for doing it. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, and who, oh wait, who was it? Uh, oh, blue. I liked blues, but it was, I got what the judges were saying that it was a little too muddled of a reference, yeah. but it seems like the brief was so all over the place because some people just interpreted like structural art as its own thing. Yeah. Or like put a bunch of hodgepodge references in or just literally recreated like a work of art. Yeah, it was like, which one of those things? Cause there's one where you are supposed to be a person from a painting. Yeah. Which makes, I think if that is the exact brief I think Baga's look becomes a lot more clever. And I think Jamie's look makes a lot more sense and like success of the look aside. But like, it, it yeah. was like, there were these two like something from a painting. I guess Mo was sort of going for that as well. I guess, uh, but like, I didn't know, I, like, I didn't know that she was doing Dolly until she said she was doing same. Dolly. Because the dress is not the flowerhead woman. Like, no. Um, and the bleeding it, heart didn't make any sense. Yeah. Like, the was one mixed boot reference. that was like, she's wearing this like shimmery iridescent lilac gown. And then she has one brown boot on and the other one's like a, a purple like a stiletto pop like I didn't understand it it was just randomness for randomness sake yeah and it was like a bad time I think for her to have a a kind of miss on the runway where I think she has largely been very successful just because like this episode in many ways was her like case for being the winner uh as far as the edit goes and I don't think it was as strong of a case I would have liked well, she easily, she cleared everyone else in oh. the actual versus, absolutely the verse challenge. This was like the, the verse challenge, the girl group challenge of the season where they all had to write verses for a horrible RuPaul song yeah. um, about living in London, but none of them actually sang about living in London. They sang about living in wherever they live. Yeah, with the bonkers prompt, fashion prompt that seems to have been a play on your country's flag, which is a terrible yeah. idea when we have three different red, white, and blue flags. Yes. I and think Pendrina they... was still there a fourth. <laughs> yeah. Great point. And I mean, the Canada girls would have just done the red and white. So that makes, yeah, very weird and coherent. Um, I, I don't know. I didn't think any of them did like, especially excellently, except Mo was pretty great. I don't think any of them did horribly either. I didn't think that Janie, Janie should not have been sent home Yeah, to me. Like I thought she was perfectly fine and she easily had the best runway. Yeah, I think even, I don't know. It's been so, it's so tricky. This is the thing that I think has made UK versus the world so hard is that like often, unfortunately to the less successful or memorable side of things, you're just not seeing a huge difference between, like maybe there's a standout, but between the two girls who are winning, especially maybe the second winner girl, which is part of the problem with the format is there has to be two bests. Yep. And the two girls in the bottom, you're not like, it it doesn't feel that different. And so it's like, we're nitpicking, but then if, if RuPaul's nitpick is different than my nitpick, then... I end up feeling really unsatisfied. And uh, there's been a lot of like trying to convince me something wasn't good when I feel like it was fine or um, 
famously in this in the first episode of UK versus the world trying to say that Lemon doing a very impressive stunt that we have seen someone do before somehow invalidates how impressive yeah it's like just look at the fucking Olympics like everyone's doing the same tricks over and over and over again we're not giving we're not taking away gold medals from people just because like Nadia Komenich did the same flip 50 years ago that doesn't make any sense no like it's it's a really bonkers especially when a well-timed split has won someone a lip sync so many times yeah like it's it's a basic element of drag (laughs) yeah and it's um, hard enough to do when you're standing on a runway and then dropping into it to go from a three-tiered platform and do it that's like dangerous and if you can do it successfully that's that's incredible so yeah it doesn't that doesn't really make sense but um I mean, what's new with Drag Race? Like, the judging has been completely bananas for years now. But the problem with this particular All-Stars format is that the producer shenanigans are so blatant. Yes. Like, and this is where I would like to get into the Jujubee of it all. Let's get into the Jujubee of it all. So, I love Jujubee. Historically, one of my favorite queens. Maybe not top five, but definitely a top ten queen for me. Mm-hmm. she should not have done this show no like i get that she wants to promote herself as much as humanly possible like if they want her on and they're paying her to are well are, do they get paid to do drag they must i i assume Something, right? they must get at yeah. least a stipend i mean the american girls do i would assume that would be the same yeah like so she's getting and she's getting exposure like she's a hall of fame queen without actually being in the literal hall of fame but you know what i mean like she's Right. Fan favorite for life. Um, the runways are so bad this season. Yeah. Like the effort level is so bad this season. That's and what last makes me night, crazy. To for her to get rewarded last night for the worst lyrics on stage and by far the worst outfit had nothing to do with the prompt. Right. And then win a lip sync that to my eye, she did not win. Was I, so... I felt like she won it, but it wasn't. It was close enough that I would have been. I would have been fine either way. I think they both did fine. She's. Not I don't a... think either of them did exceptional. I think they both did fine. Yeah, like I mean, that song is dumb too. Like those the songs this season on UK and also season fourteen to a lesser extent have been really weird choices for lip syncs. And Vanga Boys, I think, was inspired. That was great. Vanga Boys was incredible. Um, say you'll be there is like a drag lip sync classic but that doesn't make for a very good battle um it's very funny to me that they gave the eurovision song winner to the two north american girls while the three european girls watched them and there's they both could have done more with it like mo and jujube are both pretty good lip syncers but yes the effort level was low i don't think any of them wanted to actually win and send someone home so the producers just chose the, I mean, they, they definitely know who picked whose lip syncs, their lipsticks before they go mm-hmm. on stage. Undeniable. And I think they just wanted to send Janie home. It, it feels that way. I'll be interested to see who Mo pulled. I doubt it was. Janie. I would I bet it was Baga. Money. Yeah, definitely Baga. Cause they are so horny for Baga and like Baga has been lazier than Jujubee almost. I know. Season. And Jujubee is so fascinating. 
Because yeah. like there is one reason if you're a Jujubee to do this, and it's that I have done everything on Drag Race except win. Mm-hmm. And like, if that's your perspective, then I don't understand how you then bring not as good drag as we've seen you wear other times. Yep. Even when people are like, well, there's no prize money. I, why do you decide to do the show then if, if you're not going to win? And then she said something in a talking head about how she's trying to convince people she's not competition. Like wrong strategy, girl. Yeah. Like you are Juju, you were the arguably the most famous drag queen in this room, at least within the franchise. For yeah, America. within these people. Yes. Um, and probably even amongst some other of the other countries represented, she's pretty, pretty famous. So yeah. like, I don't get why you don't come in absolutely swinging. Um, it's, and, and, it, and it's weird how much it feels like a choice. Yeah. Baga's laziness feels like, I think an unfortunate side effect of Baga. Baga's never been a runway girl. I mean, but like her runways have always been borderline horrible, even on her original season. Mm-hmm. Like she's great at comedy, but the this has not been a very comedy heavy season. No. Um, it's not it's, catering to her, so she but like she doesn't meet the challenge. No. So she should have gone. I think she should have gone home within the first two or three episodes. Absolutely. But she kept getting not in the bottom because that's another thing yeah. about this format is they they change the rules seemingly on a win about like is it a bottom two is it a bottom three is it, it and it, it's like is it everyone if you're not in the top you're in the bottom and it makes it very obvious when they're trying to cause shenanigans yeah. or when they're trying to protect someone and like if you want the power to protect someone fine but just like let rupaul make all the decisions and rupaul in yeah. quotes because <laughs> you'll get an outcome that feels a little bit more honest to like what the show traditionally is if you just do it that way like yes. letting the queens pick like i think we've seen enough at this point to know that the there's a lot more artifice behind that construct than what the show wants us to think yes it's not just the queens making these choices we know like it's it's embedded in the fabric of the show and who wins who goes home that's why season 14 for all of its weirdness it feels a little bit better and i think season yeah. 14 has an opposite the opposite problem when where the winners are not correct mm-hmm. but more or less every week the person who should go home has gone home yeah yeah i think there was one week the Alyssa hunter i felt like she won that lip sync but I also think she was the worst in the challenge i didn't agree that carrie should necessarily have even been in the bottom so oh. like it's hard to say I, yeah, that, that was a weird bottom two for me because to me, clearly Orion's story was in the bottom two, but I also said that about every week that Orion's story was in the competition. (laughs) She just was one of those queens that's truly just not ready for TV. And Aiden Zane is another one of those queens. She needed polish. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's true that the winner side does seem to be wrong and i think what what that disparity does is reveal what i think is underneath all of it which is like you have made it too obvious to me the story you're trying to sell me because i feel like with season 14 they're trying to tell sell me the story a very even playing field and the fact of the matter is is it's not there are two very very exceptional girls who have not missed okay and and then there are two or three others who have been pretty consistently good and like 
with some of them occasional falters, but like everyone else, like it, it is so clear to me that this is either Willow Pillar and Furious Season. I okay. feel like yeah, they they have been good every single week and like they don't get to win or someone else wins because it would get pretty boring if it was them every single time i mean angeria has been judged every single week except the daytona win challenge right which to me she was clearly in the bottom two oh i think she would have lip synced if someone yeah but it was she wasn't that bad um it was totally 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 fine um I think Angeria is an exceptional drag queen who's not killing it quite as much as the show wants us to think she is. Like she's she's doing really well, but I, I've quibbled a, a little bit with some of the time she's been in the top. Interesting. And Willow to me should have been in the top almost every episode. So almost far, every though. episode. There's yeah. I, I think there is a case to make for every episode and I would have to look at a list and decide except for when they weren't there that either Angeria or Willow should have won every episode like yeah. <laughs> um and and it's hard like because I get that that's not very exciting tv but it's like it's it it's all causing this problem where it's like I see the hand of the narrative too much I see yeah. too much of storytelling as opposed to judging and like I think there's a million reasons why we've arrived here, unfortunately, in Drag Race, because I don't think this has always been the case. Um, but I think we are just at this point where it's like, I can't enjoy the competition because I you're, I can see too much you trying to make me yeah. feel a certain way about certain queens. Absolutely. I do think this is a really strong cast, though. Yes. Of the people who are left, the only person who I think should have gone home weeks ago is Deja Sky. Yeah. Even Diabetti, who is turning into one of Drag Race's biggest villains in over the past few seasons. I get it. She the villain has to stick around for a while for narrative reasons. Mm -hmm. That is something I'm willing to parse. In not a lot of queens have gone home undeservedly, as we said already. So it's it's fine that she's still here. Yes. But her win this episode, I did not agree with the on the girl groups challenge. Upon revisiting the challenge, rewatching it, first of all, it's clear that that group was so beyond the other two. Oh, I yeah. don't like Deja Sky being in the top. Insane. I couldn't believe it. Um, Angeria, I sort of get because she did do such a good Diana Ross and the other two members of her group were terrible. So she'll look good by comparison. I think the things that helped Daya cinch the win, besides the storyline, um, in revisiting it though, where she gave a lot of the punchlines, either mm-hmm. she wrote them or whatever the, the case may be, like a uh, two or three of the funniest jokes that they told in that in those lyrics including right off the bat look at that man over there i can't see him i forgot my glasses which i think was maybe the best joke um personally she gave herself the punchline smart and i think she's a good choreo girl which is not something they're pulling out but i think she performs choreography well yeah um but but i hear you that i think it probably should have been all three of them all three of them should have been in the top and willow should have won because willow was super funny runways are always great with her and she choreographed the whole thing like she was the main choreographer 
So to me, that is traditionally who should be winning the challenge and totally totally not even get critiqued did not make sense to me. Um, And and for what? Like, so that you try to sell me on why Deja Sky's still here? Like for Angeria, who has already been a well-performing queen who probably should have just been called safe to continue to be a well-performing safe queen. Like, I just don't understand what they're trying to do there. Yeah. It's, I get that they, they cannot have the same two people win every episode, which is what it has been pointing to this whole time, but make it look a little bit more natural. I, mm-hmm. I, I sort of get how Lady Camden has a win. I sort of get Me how too. Bosco has a win. I think they're both Fine. people who probably would have grabbed one somewhere anyway. Yeah, like Diabetti, I, sure, whatever, I guess. Like, I don't like her, but she's doing pretty well fine georges mm. that maybe i'd be diabetting too because that was insane that garment should not have been in the top that garment was closer to the bottom for me than the top and yeah. i also said this about her her ball um the ball when she was in the top three i thought her looks except for that white bridal like neoprene gown Mm -hmm, were mm -hmm. pretty consistently shoddy and especially on a design challenge for her to get praised for that over people like jasmine and like Alyssa hunter did so well in that challenge too i didn't i didn't really get it i didn't get it either it it Georges is the one who I feel the most like you're trying to sell me. I'm not totally buying. I think she is a beautiful girl. And beautiful. I think there's, she is undeniably charming. I like seeing, like when she's on stage, when she is walking the runway, I'm always like, yep, she's she's doing her little serve. Uh, I think she said one of the most profound things about her own career in the last, this last week, when she said, I'm wearing a bra and panties because she can. Like, that's her whole thing. It's like, she's just a tiny, she's pretty girl. She's 110 pounds, 5'2", 21. She should be showing it, flaunting it if she has it. And she clearly has it. And she is a phenomenal performer. That lip sync where she murdered yes. Orion on stage was very good the yeah. first truly great lip sync of the season and i watched um a performance of hers on youtube yesterday of her doing a six minute azalea banks mega mix mm. one of the hardest things to do she hit every syllable every dance move at play where she's a main cast member one of the south's premier gay bars and queer mm-hmm. bars it's it takes a, a phenomenal amount of talent and drive to get to that point. And she's very accomplished. Yeah. She has worn lingerie for nine episodes now. Right. And it so much of this adds up to the other thing that I think is my like big what I think is going wrong besides I I can see you trying to tell me a story is like I feel like the show has become impossible to judge yeah and that like what are the criteria because part of George's problem the she's criteria of Paris Van Michaels yes exactly <laughs> um, the uh criteria and collection maybe there's something there for <laughs> um the the uh like George's what she is so good at 
yeah. as a drag queen only gets showcased in this format if she's back. And so it's like, they want to keep her along because she is a very good drag queen. But like, so they keep having to lie to me because if she's in the bottom all the time, no, even if she turns a stellar lip sync, the language of the show is if you survive too many lip syncs, like you're just hanging you're on, done. you're not actually doing good at the show. So they have to like, not let her fall into the bottom as often as she maybe deserves. And then I think they have to feed her this win to make me think that she should still be here. But it's like, she's not doing great in the challenges, which have no. really spread the gamut. We've had several different acting ones. We have several different design ones. Like we're seeing different things. None of those are her things. Her runways have not been exceptional. Mm-hmm. So I don't, it- She should have been in the bottom two for that. Um, the Carrie Alyssa Hunter lip sync. Yeah. That should have been the Georgia Sarayan lip sync to me. Yeah. And yeah. I think Alyssa Hunter would at least have gotten another few episodes had we not. I agree. Yeah. It's just, it all feels very like, what are we judging here? I think one of the most fascinating things to happen on this season was, um, and this is the one I'm like ready for people to angry tweet me, the way the world received cornbread. And here's what I mean by that. I think cornbread is incredibly charming, incredibly talented. I've seen her out here. She's great. Yep. Yep. Great drag queen. I think what she served on the show was not a super high quality. I don't think she was ever that funny, except for in her talking heads, where she is very charming and very good. Yeah. I don't think any of her runaways were that great. I think arguably going home was what with an injury is one of the best things that can happen to her because she'll get to work this year. She'll get some coins. She'll get to edit based off seeing herself on TV. Yeah. She'll get to pay for some better drag and she'll be back next year with a whole new energy, which because Everyone was talking about how it was like cornbread season to lose. And I just didn't see it. Like, I, yeah, people said it pretty early on and she did kill that first episode. Yes. yes. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think people were a little quick to rush. Um, and it took Willow pill two episodes to really reveal herself. And I think Willow is definitely the, uh, Yes. The breakout star of the season. But I think you have to... The, translating what is happening in the competition to what we are seeing, to what we are supposed to think is good and bad, like the skills that make you seem like a really good queen on this show are not always the skills that are even being judged and are not always no. the skills that make you a no. good, successful drag queen like, in the world. No, like there's so many sitcom and acting challenges that people are, you're not doing that. Like after you're out of the drag race ecosystem, like maybe sure you're doing it. Like on all these little world of wonder skits and sketches and you're doing YouTube content, people are doing podcasts and stuff like that. Sure, whatever. Yeah. But this show needs to put a lot more of a premium on design, which is historically a skill that you need mm-hmm. for to be a drag queen. And- performance bar perform yeah like that kind of I like I really liked the opening of season 13 when they all lip-synced yeah because you could see what every queen's style was and performance Mm -hmm. abilities were right off the bat and that made it really easy to kind of judge okay like this person's gonna be a pretty big threat like this person is a very seasoned queen yeah and you don't necessarily see that reflected in challenges 
like Tina Burner, for example. Tina Burner murdered that first Lady Marmalade lip sync. And I thought won the My Humps lip sync that she actually went home on. Great queen. She's a legendary New York queen. You mm-hmm. would not know it watching Drag Race. No, she seemed like a weird hanger on. Yeah. And like that part of that's just because the show did not want her to do well in the same way that they don't ever really want the really seasoned New York girls to do well, or at least haven't since Bob. Yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's weird how this show picks and chooses favorites. And I get that that's just TV in general, but a reality TV in general, but it's, uh, it's frustrating. I certainly feel like it's gotten more egregious as the show has gone on. Do you feel that also? I'm wondering why that exists. Like I, I think some of it is that the Queens are coming in too aware of the fact that they're on TV, which is detrimental to the creation of reality TV. Like if people are presenting a character, it gets very hard to edit them into the character you need them to be in the story. Um, But it's gotta be something more than that. I don't, there's just something about it that feels so, we don't have as many sewing challenges in a season. Maybe that's part of it. Like, because they're not as clippable. I think that's really what it boils down to. The mm-hmm. runway and design challenges are not c- very conducive to the show, like creating like viral Twitter videos and like little meme moments and stuff. Like yeah. all those usually come out of performance challenges, talking heads, whatever. Yeah. So that's part of why they don't emphasize it as much. A lot. And like, I think people just come into sanitize because we're all very media literate and TV literate. We know what gets portrayed. Yeah. And the fan base is so deranged. Yeah. That if you say one mildly critical thing about another queen, like Diabetti in the grand scheme of things is not that villainous compared to someone like House, like someone like Fifi O'Hara was portrayed or even a Roxy on her original season, like genuinely kind of nasty behavior. Diabetti is just, a sour persimmon she's still getting death threats yeah like it's wild that this is what passes for a villain nowadays is someone who cares a whole whole lot about the competition and just is focused on that and doesn't like it when she doesn't do well yeah like like, (laughs) i i want to show the kids of today like the shangela mimi i'm first fight like that would make them cry blood like they wouldn't be able to handle how like vicious and physical like they would like cancel Shangela like cancel Mimi for like appropriating like non-binary aesthetics from Lee Bowery I'm like it it, it, there's no rationality and then you go tell a queen to kill themselves like where's the balance and all this so nuts I just I want to be able to watch the show get exposed to a lot of really cool drag queens doing what they're great at and feel like it is a productive platform for them to participate in and like I don't feel like I get to do all of those things anymore. No, definitely not. And that's what the, um, we have talked about legendary before as a show, which is not necessarily, yes. that's not a showcase for drag queens, but it is a showcase for queer performers to do a traditional queer art form, i.e. ballroom. That show is so much more successful, even though it has its judging shenanigans too, mm-hmm. because it kind of gets out of the performer's way yep. and just lets them do what they're good at. This yeah. show does, this show, Drag Race creates hurdles. 
instead of creating a runway. And that's, I think it needs to change that a little bit because people, I think it would create a better show if we had a little bit more of a showcase. And like, I get that we need to see lots of different kinds of challenges. I don't actually want a design challenge every week, Um, but like less skits, more improv, which I know that's a harder thing, but like, at least that is the queen's getting to and and improv where they get to come up with yeah absolutely like where they can sort of bring their own brain perspective characters they do to play that's why i i actually liked the girl group challenge yeah me too it makes the queens write lyrics for songs that is something a drag queen will do post-show so it's a good training ground for that and And doing choreo and performing that choreo in a number like that is all a very functional skill Yep, very functional skill, and especially in the Instagram age that separates the bedroom queens from the bar queens. Yes. Good thing to, because at the end of the day, for as much as just show loves an Instagram queen, like, they have to be able to perform and do things successfully. Right. So that's a good thing. And they're doing a drag con episode. This episode's coming out on Friday, so the day this episode, or the drag con episode's airing. But I think the drag con challenge is a good way to prepare queens Mm -hmm. for marketing themselves and like channeling their brands. Like that it's kind of a cynical thing to do, but something that like they have to do. Yeah. Being able to brand yourself and like being good on a mic, unquestionably important skill. What are we doing right now? Yeah. Being so good on a mic. So good. Hire Um, us to do your drag content. Yeah. We'll, we'll do, I'll slap on a wig. Um, and do it but okay we unfortunately have to move on to our final segment let's so do it we're i think play... we really fixed drag race though <laughs> we we have given them a ton of little tidbits thank god little fixer uppers and let's hope someone's someone out there is listening um so we're gonna play tear the community apart the rules are pretty simple i've picked two songs and you're gonna tell me which one is better okay so Kind of a hard one today. Or maybe not. I don't know. It's two pop rock classics from the early 2000s. Love it. By singers who have managed to stick around for 20 years. In very okay. impressive longevity can, considering their humble beginnings. Um, but they're both institutions. Mom rock icons, especially. Beautiful. So, which song is better? Get the Party Started by Pink or Since You've Been Gone by Kelly Clarkson? I hate you. Um, this is very hard. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very hard because, okay, here's my instinct is Kelly. My instinct okay. is always Kelly, is the problem. So, I have to like separate my own personal Kelly Clarkson, the institution feelings to find the song inside of it yeah um i i think i am actually gonna stick though with since you've been gone okay and and i think it's a more vocally impressive song which maybe isn't fair but whatever kelly always gets those um and i think it's like a better song (laughs) i think that's all fair to say yeah i think i think get this party started maybe operates like has 
more social impact. Do I even believe that? I don't social know. impact. <laughs> what do you yeah. mean by social? <laughs> like, I mean, I the heard it a lot of doing the work. I may, I heard it a lot of middle school dances. I think is yeah. what I mean by social impact. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think since you've been gone, it's a better song. I agree with that. I, I am always going to go Kelly over pink in any scenario. It's true. Um, it's true. It's, I just historically find pink so annoying. God bless. <laughs> but mm-hmm. Like I, she has contributed to the arts. You can't say she hasn't. Like she'll get a Kennedy Center honor. Um, President jo- Jojo Siwa is going to give her one at, yeah. uh, at some point in the next 50 years. Um, I, I think Since You've Been Gone is one of the best pop songs ever written. That's a bold claim. It may be correct too. I, it's a really good one. I, it is. And I hate to say, I mean, it is a Dr. Luke song. So I, mm. I hate to give him shine, but it's a perfectly produced and written song. Yeah. Deli- for, paired with the exact right person to sell mm-hmm. it. Yeah. At, I think, the right point in that person's career to sell it. Oh, absolutely. Like, people kind of forget that that song wasn't her debut it wasn't her breakout single like she had her first album with a moment like this and miss independent and then she had another album in between wait no 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 i'm sorry that was her second album i lied she when did my december come out kelly's had like two comeback periods basically um hold please okay i'm sorry i misspoke so breakaway was her second album and it mm. came kind of a few years after the first one and people thought she was just a one-hit wonder and then since you've been gone came out and rocked everyone's shit and that album is so good because it also has like walk away and because of you behind these hazel eyes which is almost Oof. a better song to be than since you've been gone yeah um, oh that's that's quite an album i i am obsessed with kelly's also like third act here of her career um, yeah if it's fair absolutely. to call it that like I bring me more beautiful cover artists but like that early Kelly period was so undeniable in a way oh, yeah. I feel I feel like we don't look back on with enough respect <laughs> I think the girlies of today love Kelly and the mm-hmm. same with that they love Avril and Paramore and all these kind of pop rock girls and I think that Kelly is a lot more of a reference point than Pink is. Yep. But Get This Party Started is a great song. It's a great song. I'm never going to be mad. And I like, it. I like, there's a lot of Pink music I do like. I'm not like diabetic obsessed with Pink, but like, I like, um, I can't think of one song. Wow. Wait, <laughs> no, no, I like, I like like Sober. I like that album, um, Fun House. That mm-hmm. I think is like so what and yeah, um, so what? Please don't leave me, which is one of my favorite Pink songs. Head. Yeah, these Good are song. both songs that like if I'm out at a bar on a Sunday and it's like four o'clock and I'm that I'm four o'clock That's Sunday favorite. drunk that one of these came on, I'd be like, fuck yeah, yeah, no, like they're not both of them are songs that you're happy to listen to and they're both great sing along songs. Yes, that's a good point. Get, I mean. They both get the party started, but they sure unfortunately, do. since you've been gone, beats it at its own game. I think um, it's a, yeah. 
Wow, what a marathon. <laughs> I know. We've recorded for like 90 minutes, basically. I can yell about Drag Race all day long. Oh, I could go. It is. I yell. We yell because we want it to get better. It's Not true. Because I will never stop watching it. No. Unlike VPR, which I had to phase out. Like, yeah. Drag Race is always going to be here. But I've, I am more selective with what I do and don't watch with it. Like, I have not watched Colin. This was my first experience with Janie Jack Hay. And mm-hmm. I did not, I'm not watching Australia. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do it. It was not great. It's, it, I, I just love good drag. And I love, I think that drag queens are so perfectly suited to be reality television characters. Yeah. And I wish they would all let themselves be. And I wish the show would let itself go back to being about drag and less about RuPaul's machine. It's just, it is, and it's been the machine for eight years now. Yeah, it's working for her. It's working and it's like, I mean, we're not going to, no one's going to stop watching. Like it's, it's it's too crucial at this moment in time to the fabric of a lot of queer social life, both from, you know, just an interpersonal connective standpoint, but also like there is an economy to drag race, Mm -hmm. especially on like, it props up a lot of queer nightlife. Like, Oh yeah. Their bars are getting so much traffic just from screening drag race alone. And it's kind of nice that they're now doing international franchises on non-friday nights Mm. so bars have things to show on like tuesdays which would be an off night like i remember when drag race used to air on like mondays and tuesdays not fridays yeah and that was great because you got yeah that that was better because you would get people like in on an off night yeah like and that props up a lot of bars but i don't know i mean it's been the first season that shifted to Fridays was the first year I was in LA in 2017. Because mm-hmm. one of the first Saturdays, or no, the first Fridays I was there full time was when the night that Valentina got eliminated. What a big night. Big night. It was her birthday too. So friend of the pod, Noah Chantos, aka for the boys and I went to Mickey's for her birthday party and watched her get eliminated. Oh my God. I understand why she became a little bit of a super villain for a minute there. Oh, me too. People forget. (laughs) Like the rose, the rose petal era was very funny. It was very dark. It was good. I miss, I I haven't been able to watch in person because of Omicron and then upcoming medical procedures so i'm so excited to get to go back to a bar i see i have the season's gonna be over probably by the time i can do it but i want well yeah but then we'll have spain too we'll have australia too like the drag race philippines is coming out which that one i'm really excited about Mm -hmm. um because a filipino drag queen is a thing to behold Interesting. I'm not, I'm not as familiar with Filipino drag culture. So I'm they're world class. Mm-hmm. Like you see, like the like cis women pageant queens out of the Philippines, they always win like Miss Universe, Miss World. The drag queens stellar, truly stellar. Very excited for that. And 
I don't know if this is a spoiler for people, but Jiggly Caliente is one of the go- the main judges. So more Jiggly oh, on my TV is always good. I love Jiggly. This uh, is great. I, this is great. This is all great. But yeah. Um, yeah. I love drag. I love watching it on my TV and I love watching it in person and I can't always watch it in person. So I need it to be good on my TV. It, yep. <laughs> Get, bring it to the small screen. Um John, this was fantastic. This was so great. A beautiful return. Where can people find you on social media? Um, I am active on Twitter more than anywhere else. Um, I'm John X McDonough, M-C-D-O-N-O-U-G-H on Twitter and kind of annoying and tweet a lot about politics. Or you can follow my podcast, Teach Me Sentai, which is just Teach Me Sentai on all the various socials and on all your podcast platforms. Incredible. Um, you can follow me at FK Pigs with a Z on Twitter, uh, where I am not tweeting about politics, usually calling Elton John an old man. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Drew Haskins with Z's and follow Crisis Twink Pod on Instagram and Twitter for general updates and TikToks I like, because <laughs> that's that's what it's become. So cool. Um, and with that, uh, great up. Yeah, we did it. Bye, everyone. Ciao, ciao. Before we get started with today's episode, I'm here to ask you to please consider giving me some money. That's right. Crisis Twink has a wonderful listener support option in our show notes through which you can choose to make a small, large, or an astronomical monthly donation to support the operating costs of the podcast. It's entirely optional, but it is much appreciated. So if that's something that's interesting to you, then uh, give it a little look. All right, on with the show.